Cairo Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill. I'm with Matt Butler. Joining us now, Cairo's, Cairo News Radio's own Matt Markovich, our man at the Capitol, our man at Olympia. Matt, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great tonight. It's always good to talk to you because I feel like it's uh, the 9 o'clock hour. It's the midnight confession hour. You can just talk <laughs> what you want to say. You know, it's late, late night radio. Yeah, we have we have a little leeway here. We have a little freedom. Yeah, you know? I love that. You know, being in the coming from the old TV world, which I did for thirty plus years, you're always you know keep it a minute thirty. Back in the old days, I could do a five minute story, which I could really I really relished, uh, but not not anymore. So, the last bastion of freedom of talk ra- is talk radio, where I can share a little bit more than what's on my mind than what I what, than the minute and a half that I was always given. So uh, Matt said you might be willing tonight to tell us a little bit. I mean, we've we've been really lucky to have time with you to learn about your history in radio, <laughs> and it's yeah. it's an amazing and uh, it's a magical tale. I really I mean your your journey's been pretty pretty blessed, and we're we're pretty lucky that you decided to follow this because it's it seems like the role you were born to play. But Matt says you maybe have made some bad choices along the way that you might be willing to share <laughs> something about a, a, a criminal history. Well, you know, that's why I said, I guess it's midnight radio confession Do time it. here. You know, Just you, me, and Matt. Nobody else is uh, listening. There's nobody else out there. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you know that, that fly <laughs> on the wall, that cockroach, the media cockroach that I am, because um, I've been around forever and no one's been able to put me out and kill me. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know what? You know, it's a, it, it's actually, you know, we talked about sex wax. We talked about my KMET days. This is actually... I want to put it on my job resume, my criminal record. You're thinking, what the heck is he talking about? Well, I went to San Diego State. And San Diego State, let's just put it that way, it was two beers and a C, and that's what you got. You know, it's just one of those (laughs) colleges where you had a good time on Friday and Saturday night, and you're only 50 miles from the Mexican border. Right. And so I I finished up college there, and I did really well. I was an outstanding student in my major down there. But I lived with seven other guys, and we lived in this gigantic house called Your Mom's House. Your Mom's House. That was the name of our intramural team, Your Mom. And people loved it. We had a little stick figure of Your Mom. That was our jersey. Uh, we sold those jerseys in the bookstore because they're so popular. And the local the Daily Aztec would, in the intramural sports would say, guess what? Uh, your Mom beat the Bullwinkles. You know, it was just always a fun headline. <laughs> so we had... But in order to live at this house, in order to buy the appliances that we need, we had to throw parties. And so we were, I was part of a renegade group of eight guys, lived in one gigantic house, and we would throw your mom parties. We even sold buttons that said, I partied with your mom. And and I'm not kidding. And so in order to raise money, we would charge admission at the door. You know, it was always $4 for guys. Girls were always free. And we would have, you know, 10 kegs of beer. There was, I mean, I'll admit it, you know, there, there were probably underage people at that party. I was over 21 at the time. And then uh, one day, you know, this is how we raised money. Sure. So one day um, I'm in my room and there's this guy standing in my room. He's got a flashlight and he's flashing at me and it's kind of dark. And I go, I go, excuse me, sir, who, who are you? And he goes, San Diego Vice. <laughs> and they had undercover vice cops in our party because they were huge parties. And they said, 
they cleared out the party. There was happened to be five of us there at the party. And they rang us up for getting the get, – and here's the charge – running a cabaret without a license. <laughs> so, well, wouldn't there have to be dancing to officially be a cabaret? No, no. Oh, my gosh. You, the, you had to provide entertainment. Uh-huh. Uh, and we all went, I went to in front of the judge and the judge knocked down serving the minor, you know, they could have yeah. got us for a lot more, but they stuck with that charge of running a cabaret without a license. Cause one, we didn't have a business license. It was a civil penalty. And basically we were charging admission at the door, providing entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have a record in San Diego County, a civil fine of running a cabaret with a license. Now, <laughs> There's a PS to this story. Um, you know, we had a refrigerator breakdown, so we had to buy another refrigerator. So, of course, we got to have another party. That's how we raised our money. So we had another party, and we we hired the two big tackles from San Diego State as our as our as our doorman. Sure, security is important. Yeah, security. And these guys are big. You know, you guys are gonna they're gonna get four dollars out of guy. So we told them all they had to do is say four dollar donation. And go. stand there looking big. Unfortunately, one of those guys, the vice cops came again. The <laughs> cops came again. And one of those guys had was packing some heat. Oh. So they took him away. He had a gun on him. We didn't know that at the time. And that's how we got around. So there's a little bit about me. Uh, it's an entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. I, I was raising money, running a cabaret without a license in college. So what better job description Right next to, I made sex wax, and you can find that on my resume. Larry. Well, I'm just, I'm just glad you, you chose. I imagine you were a journalism major. Is there, you weren't. You obviously I was weren't a journalism a, minor in TCF Telecommunications and Film. I produced a okay. sports series that at San Diego State that's still existing. No senior as a senior project. No, the school, which is thirty thousand kids at the time, kept a senior project, and it's kept it for. I'm going. What's I'm going to do the math here real quick. More than 30 years, my senior project is still an upper division class now, sports sports production, and I started it. And that's kind of like I'm proud of that. I'm the father of sports scene down there. I I, I love these stories. They just take me back, and it's it's like watching uh, you know a, a, a live version of Animal House. I mean, you guys really did what you had to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were survivors, and you were entrepreneurs, and you. You know, you, you you solved your own problems, and what does America do? They haul you into court and tell you a cabaret without a license. Did you ever consider getting a business license at that point, just to go legit at the no, house? No, no, because then we'd have to get a liquor license, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, we, you know, we'd go to get Everclear from Mexico and made your oh mom's special punch. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm sharing a little bit about college life, and that, and you know what? I think that makes me a better journalist because I've had a lot of different experiences, met a lot of different people, and I have, a, I think, a well, probably like you, Spike, I have a wide-ranging life and of life experiences, and it allows me to put things in perspective on, on what I cover right now and have been for 30 years here in Seattle, how I cover things. And you were talking about the homeless there. Maybe this is a segue. You know, how I got along with the homeless when I started covering them four or five years ago and started Project Seattle for Como TV, and I was in the camps every single day, and I get asked constantly, you know, what was my experiences there? And I heard you talking about the homeless. And, you know, I definitely have, and here at 9 o'clock at night, I can actually, I feel like I can share some stuff that 
I've always wanted to say, but never said it because I was so busy trying to report the facts and and what I experienced and what I saw. By all means, man, it's all and, yours. Take you know it. what? And you know, I was uh, the executive producer of a documentary called "Seattle's Dying at Como," and Eric Johnson, a terrific writer, who put that whole thing together. You know, it's got something like eight million views on YouTube now, um, and it pissed off a lot of. Uh, city council people when we ran that thing people called it poverty porn but it was based on a lot of my reporting that i had done at project seattle because i was in the camps constantly i got to know people by first name basis i had they had my cell phone number they would call me and you know i i want to share that every time i for years i went into these camps and i'd always ask them two or three same questions every time every single time i asked where did you come from? Has the city offered you services? And did you accept those services? Those are the three basic questions I asked every single person. And most of the people answer the first question, and I'm totally generalizing here. Most of them, I'd say half of the people I talked to were from the local area. But that means the other half were from somewhere else. I remember a guy named Memphis who was a boxer from, from, actually from Memphis, super nice guy, African American guy who lived on the street for years, took care of his neighbors in the tents. He had the biggest fist you've ever seen because he was a boxer, but very gentle. And he would never, he wanted to stay, he had a place at the, what's known as a navigation center. He actually had a room. He'd been on the street for so long, but he wanted to stay in the camps because he wanted to te- protect his people. There was another African-American woman I met in her mid-50s. She was uh, living in a tent on, along I-90 to the on the exit from Ra- Rainier off-ramp. You go down to Rainier. And she lived there for a long time. But people didn't know. She got housing and had a housing, had an apartment for two years, three years. But she had been living on the street in the camps for a decade she couldn't live in a place that had four walls. Even though she was offered the place, accepted it, she still stayed along the camp, you know, along the highway, because that's what she knew. That's what she was familiar with. That's what she was more comfortable with. And I think what you hear about people in the camps, and these are the visible homeless that I dealt with. I, I really believe that there's twice the population of people uh, couch surfing out there that don't have homes. Yeah. They have a friend. They're staying with them rent-free. And they're trying to get a job, and they may be strung out, they have mental illness, but we never see these people because they're on someone's couch. And I really believe, and there's a, an undocumented number, they don't, that's not part of the one night count that they do. But there's a lot of people, I believe, that are out there surfing on a couch. But we see the people that are on the highways, in the camps, near the parks. They're the visible homeless. And those people are, are a lot of street people. Uh, who like living on the street, they don't want to be encumbered by any rules, and I divide it down into three three categories. I say a third that I've met in my years of doing this are economically homeless. This is just my own observation. I'm not quoting stats from the county or anything. This is my personal observation, talking with people, asking those three questions. A third of them are economically homeless. They, they for whatever reason... They're trying to get a job. They're not strung out on drugs. They may do beer, you know, have some beers or something like that, but they're not, they don't have an addiction issue. They are just struggling. The other third does have an addiction issue. 
and the other third does have a, a mental illness. And if you combine those two, which a lot of them are, that's two-thirds of the population that you see on the street. And and what they're being fueled by, and there's you could tell these guys in the camps, the people who live in the camps are kind of dirty you know they're they're they, yeah. they they don't want to leave their camp because they're gonna get all their stuff ripped off so them so the, the 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 belief that people are working out of the camps and going to a job during the day that's bs because once they leave their camp all the other campers are going to rip them off so people don't leave their camps they stay there the whole time and the people who live in the camps they're kind of clean i mean dirty the people who are dealing the drugs you can spot them from a mile away. They wear a backpack. Their pants are clean. Their shoes are clean, maybe a little muddy on the bottom because they're walking through the camps. Those are the guys who are dealing, and each big camp has a tent where they deal out of or they go to other camps. That is such a problem. It's so visible in these camps. And that is what we would always try and shoot, but at the same time, when I say shoot video, when I at the same time, I would come up to the dealers and say, hey, I'm here not to me- do mess with your business. I'm here about trying to find out if the city's giving these guys services. I promise I won't shoot your tent. And these are the deals I would make in the in the camp in order to film my story. So there's a lot of complexity here. Uh, I'm kind of just sharing a little bit of some of the observation I've had, I've had dealing with the homeless. But the bottom line is this, uh, in my feeling. You know, I was covering a lot of this before they were back when they were just spending tens of millions of dollars, not hundreds of millions of dollars on on the homelessness. But even back then, there are people that will not accept services. And that right now, I think, is the biggest dilemma. The city of Seattle, the state of uh, Washington, any agency, public or private, dealing with people who are in these camps, who are fueled by these guys, who have clean shoes, clean pants, and they're just offering them drugs right out, right into the camp. Um, the people who won't accept any services, there is no answer for those for that. And they will stay on the highways, and they will stay in the camps. And until we have an answer for the people who won't accept services, but we don't want to have them living on the camps, uh, living in the camps along the highways, I don't have an answer for that. Nobody has an answer for that. And that is a huge dilemma that needs to be addressed. We're talking to Matt Markovich, Cairo News Radio's um, Capitol reporter. Uh, I know we're going to talk about some of the things going on in Olympia this legislative session. But if, if you wouldn't mind, um, I want to spend the last couple minutes of this break. I'm going to have you back after for our next segment if, if you're willing to. Sure. I, w- I want to ask you about this topic because you seem to me, and I don't think I'm wrong, you're, you're probably more qualified to speak on this than anybody I've heard from any perspective so far. You've lived, you know, to report this and bring this this story to the public. And in doing so, you've kind of met and lived among, if I may, this community. What Matt and I think that addressing this, it's a multi-pronged solution. It's, of course, more affordable housing. It's um, mental health and physical health and addiction treatment for these for these folks in this communities. If you could, if you could have a magic wand that could make, start the ball rolling, what's the, what's the most important element? What's the first thing you would do? You want me to share it now or after? Yeah, no, please. We got, we got a minute or so before we got a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about Olympia. Uh, if I had a magic wand, I would send in, I would say, (laughs) it seems odd, the DEA to stop the drugs and a ton of mental health counselors. That's it. 
I mean, housing is a help. It helps to have housing, but that's what's going to take. You got to stop the flow of drugs and deal with the mental illness. Yeah, you had mentioned that a third of this community is living in Seattle streets, half of which we won't see because they're apartment hopping. They're staying with friends for free. And most of the children, it's incredible how many children are homeless in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that are staying with friends on couches. Um, but the folks that are on the street, you say a third of them are economically there for economic reasons. A third is addiction. The third is mental illness. So yeah. until we until we deal with the uh, the addiction and mental illness elements of this, everything else we do is just money thrown away. And you're talking about housing. I'll tell you what. I went to San Francisco to cover what how their their solutions. I could talk about that later. And their single resident on, only ten thousand yeah. of them. What they tried to do. Oh, it's Matt Markovich. We're going to talk when we come back a little bit about the, the efforts in Olympia and this 2023 legislative session, what they're trying to accomplish to make our lives better on a day-to-day basis. It's Cairo News Radio, Cairo Nights with Spike O'Neill, Matt Butler. We'll be right back. Cairo Nights. Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. Joining us is Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich. Matt, first off, thank you so much for your insight into the homeless situation we face in Seattle. And I think Matt's playing great music. It's one of another L.A. band. I owe you bet. Chili Peppers, I, a, a fave of mine. I met them. The first time I met them was at KISW, and they had just released their first record, and they were wearing nothing but socks when I met them. <laughs> I swear. Damon Stewart was our new music guru at the time, and he brought the guys in. I had never heard any of their music yet, and they're in the production room. I swear they were wearing nothing but socks. The four guys with a sports sock across their... You know, um, I've seen that that picture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. What a great group. Uh, So let's talk about Olympia and the 2023 Washington State Legislative Sessions. And we talked a little bit last week about some of the things that are being uh, tackled or at least attempted, tabled down in Olympia. Uh, One thing you had mentioned to me was the idea of legislatively putting out their free lunches and free breakfasts for all Mm -hmm. high school students in the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. What's, What's the thought behind that? Well, they just had that hearing uh, on the Senate side uh, this week. Um, the idea is fairly simple. Uh, it's, a, it's free breakfast and free lunches for anybody in school, and this goes to tribal schools, private schools, public schools, uh, mandated by the state. I, and I, I may have to take back the private part. Uh, I'm not sure about that. But it's free breakfast and free lunch. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One at some schools, if you get a free lunch or free breakfast because you don't have the income and you qualify for the federal program, some schools put a like a little green badge on the kids, and they get one kind of a lunch. And if uh, if if a person has means to buy lunch, they get a different kind of a lunch. And so you have this what people are saying, food shaming of kids. Right. And you know if you're a third grader or fourth grader and you're treated differently because you don't have money and kids can belittle you and stuff like that, that's really bad. And so the idea behind this is that, look, kids work better in school when they eat. And if they have a good lunch and a good breakfast, they're going to do better in school. And we already do provide 
meals for kids. And during the pandemic, the federal government provided meals for everybody, regardless of their income. Uh, that money is long gone now. So there's an effort by state lawmakers to keep it going that every kid gets a, a breakfast or a lunch if they want it. They don't have to accept it without any kind of shaming. So it's, you just get it, and there's no there's no need for qualifying for an income. And uh, so right now, that's was first uh, first hearing this week. It seems to have a bipartisan support. Um, there's going to be a, a dollar reimbursement issue with this. The federal government will reimburse school districts for money, obviously for kids who are uh, indigent or can't afford a meal. So where is the rest of the money going to come from? And that's going to be the big question. Do they have any idea what this would cost? I haven't heard any money, dollars, figures yet. Um, it wasn't in the legislation that was provided. There wasn't any discussion at the hearing that I listened to, so I can't answer that question. My, my only other thought on that issue, first of all, I think it's a phenomenally good idea. I couldn't agree more that kids, first off, learn better when they're not nutritionally challenged. And mm-hmm. the idea that no one should be shamed over whether or not they can afford a, a decent meal. That's, that is as important, I think, as any academic learning kids do, is, not, is to have that level playing field and not and, be and shamed about, yeah. And the prime sponsor brought that up. That was a big part of this bill is that shaming because there's a lot of pride going on. If a family can't afford the meals, they they will send their kid to school and not ask them to take a meal uh, because it was provided them because they don't have the money for it to avoid the, even the shaming. So there's a lot of issues at play, social issues at play here. I do have the amount of meals it could provide, the maximum amount. Right now, there are two hundred, roughly 270,000 kids enrolled in public school in Washington state. So there's a number there that they would have to provide two meals a day. Wow. Well, I hope, I hope they can find a way to make this a reality because I I really can't see a downside. So much of the, what we spend our budgets on, uh, we can all debate about its effectiveness or its worth as to our to our state and our, our children. This I think is worth every penny. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the blood alcohol level being 08 and the effort to make it maybe 0.05. Again, again, this is, uh, has a hearing. It seems to have some good response. Again, a democratic proposal, as are most proposals in Olympia. Keep in mind that you have a democratic right. governor, a democratic house, democratic senator, a senate. So the Democrats are in charge, and they are able to have that use that power to bring whatever bill they want to a hearing. Without going to a hearing, it really can't get. It won't go through, go anywhere. So the Democrats have brought about this idea. It would basically match Utah's law. Utah was the first state in the country to pass a .05 blood alcohol level for impaired driving. Uh, they've had it for two years. And what the results are in Utah is that they have not seen, and this is according to the lawmakers who testified in behalf of this law, that Utah saw no increase in arrests but did see increase in the number of people who died due to impaired driving. Half of the deaths on our highways in the state of Washington involve an impaired driver. So it's just a monumental number we're talking about here. And the belief is that if you drop it down to from 0.08 to 0.05, you're going to save lives. Well, who's against this, you ask? Okay. Well, it was the restaurants, bartenders, uh, retailer outfits, who actually have to to observe and serve alcohol to people, 
And what their argument has been is that we have been trained for so long to recognize when someone's inebriated at roughly a 0.08 level. Um, the, sta- the testifying in the, in the hearing was uh, the King County prosecutor who really deals with drug driving cases who said, you really can't see anybody's intoxication, whether they're impaired, until they reach a 0.08. But if you were to do their blood alcohol level, um, they'd be absolutely fine at 0.04 to 0.5. You couldn't tell. You, you really, it's hard to tell. Right. Especially people who have drink a lot, who are alcoholics, they, they have such an intolerance, they can be a, a 0.1 and you wouldn't see any indication at all. So without the right tools, the servers are saying it be it's going to be extremely hard to detect who's drank too much and as you know spike restaurants servers bartenders they're all on the hook for a liable they're yeah, liable absolutely if someone walks out gets in their car drives and kills somebody and we're such a litigious society these days we're always looking for somebody to hold accountable even for our own bad decisions you know how dare that bartender give me that extra drink you know like yeah, it's like so- it's the bartender's fault yeah, and so this only applies to retail outlets. So, uh, wait, and I take that back. Um, uh, in, in terms of liable li- liability, um, yeah. So that's the big concern. So right now, the bill is starting its way through, as every bill right now is starting its way through the process of becoming a bill. You know, the old kid song is a bill, a bill, a bill. You know, so oh, yeah. you got to go through the House <laughs> and the Senate. And so it's just, you know, we're, we're day 15 into a 105 day session. So we're really early on in terms of some of these bills. And again, you're talking about the serious ones. And there's also some, you know, lighter, some really interesting ones I've been following even today. Go ahead. Um, um, if you don't want to share with you, you know, you'll, you'll scoop all the other TV, uh, the uh, talk shows I'll be talking about <laughs> tomorrow. So they'll, they're not listening anyway. So how about that? <laughs> Good. So, so right now, uh, this is a bill that gets some seems to get some support and had nobody testifying against that, and that is getting rid of the nine tenths number on the price of a gallon of gas, ninety nine point nine cents a gallon. Well, uh, Senator Sam Hunt says we've been living with this so long, we should just get rid of it. Ninety nine point nine cents is not ninety nine cents a gallon. It's a dollar a gallon. Yeah, it is. If it's three thirty, <laughs> if it's three forty nine point nine cents a gallon, that's three fifty a gallon. So he's introduced legislation that, and like I said, not even the oil companies testified against this, uh, to make gas prices going forward, um, starting next year, that it has to be rounded to the nearest whole cent. So if it's three fifty nine point nine, that's actually. 360 a gallon and that's what the, uh, the and, and if they don't post that they're fined the gas company the gas station will be fine and we point and we're talking about a lot of 0.9 cents a gallon because this state on on an annual basis pumps 3.9 billion gallons of gas a year coming from gas uh, gas stations so that's a lot of 0.9 cents. So there's a little. It, it would be little, nice if they just dealt with us. We're, we're not stupid. We get it. We know how much it costs, and it's 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 the you know, it's the small plastic number industry. The ones that they put on the signs at the gas station. That's who's going to push back. The people who make the little plastic numbers that you put on the big board. 
Yeah. I thought that was interesting, and I thought I'd share that with you. Thank you, man. Uh, Matt Markovich, everybody. Uh, Matt, I enjoy every time you come on. I hope we can do this on a regular basis. I, I do, and I really enjoy being – I really do say – and I mean this all honestly. I really do coming on, love coming on your show where I can just talk like this. You're always welcome, my friend. Great job. Matt Markovich, Cairo News Radio. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. We'll be right back after these. Nice job tonight, everybody. Matt, you especially. Great job. Not just the music. Your input into the conversations we have here. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate them. Uh, the texters, you're a bunch of lunars. Uh, no, You've been <laughs> Lunars? <laughs> how cosmic are you? I know, right? right? Yeah. Uh, no, seriously. Great job tonight, you guys. Um, uh, not just from the 425. Appreciate your show, guys. I appreciate that. Um a DEA and mental health counselors, that's the only solution that would work. That was from Jones and Homish. That, of course, was Matt Markovich's. I asked Matt, who's done so much so much investigative reporting into Seattle's homeless community, might be the most informed and qualified guy to speak on this issue than anybody I've ever heard talk in the media. And he said if he could wave a magic wand, he would just send in the DEA and send in the mental health professionals. Uh, and that is b- before anything else happens. Without that firm foundation to build on, we're, we're going to have a problem. A texter asked me to please, please be careful when I use the term mental illness or mental health because they're very distinctly different terms. And, you, and you're right. And I will try to inform myself. So I know we, we tend to speak in shorthand and we tend to try to, you know, just keep the conversation moving forward. But you're, you couldn't be writer about that. That's an important distinction, and I'll make sure I, as your host, try to be as informed as I can on that. Oh. Uh, someone says, you guys have no clue for people who you describe as experiencing homelessness. They, it says the addiction rate is probably 80% or higher. And, and this is from someone who has experienced homelessness. Homelessness. And there, of course, there are different classes of homeless. We we know that. Uh, great, great, a, a very long text with a lot of information, and I appreciate that. That's from Chris. <sighs> I live in Bellevue and own an RV. If I park my RV on my own neighborhood street for more than three days, I get a ticket from Bellevue Police. Yet the streets bordering the south side of Factoria Mall have a whole line of older RVs permanently parked. I know that's frustrating. It's got to be frustrating. But I think as we mentioned earlier, what's the sense of the police, the Bellevue police, going and ticketing these RVs, which they, they know. These folks have no ability to pay that. It doesn't feel fair. Um, as I mentioned the story on MyNorthwest.com that Jason Rance put out, and it feels like the homeless, those experiencing homelessness, 
especially those who are living in campers and RVs, it feels like they are just allowed to just break the law. And that can be frustrating for those of us who do try to live responsibly and meet our meet our commitments to our own community. It's tough. Sue in the 360 says, good show. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. Oh, Kev says, I work in security and it takes all it takes for criminals to get off is to claim some kind of discrimination. It's usually BS and they know it, but it allows people to shoplift and makes working retail a nightmare. Yeah, I, I was speaking to a law enforcement officer who witnessed shoplifting firsthand while he was off duty in a store witnessing shoplifting. And I asked him, well, why didn't you step in? He goes, because I was, he was a white officer and was witnessing minority citizens committing shoplifting. And he was worried about the racial implications of him intervening. I mean, it's, it's a serious problem. Uh, Good evening. Thank you for a good radio show tonight. Thanks, Clarence from Spokane. Nice. And if people want more good radio, they should be tuning in at noon tomorrow and the rest of the week. To hear you, along with the return of the Cairo Knights veteran, Jack Stein. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we, um, you know, we are, as a station, Cairo News Radio is trying to move forward as a family from 12 to 3 every day. And I thank Brandy Cruz for the work she's doing, and she's going to continue to do that time slot until we find the permanent solution that the city deserves. In the meantime, Jack Stein and I are going to be doing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from 12 to 3. And I spoke with Jack pretty extensively today. It's not going to be some arguing, yelling, point-counterpoint kind of a day. We're going to try to bring that crossfire. Right. No, we're not going to. We're going to try to find the commonality. We decided that what we'd like to attempt in the next three days from 12 to 3 is to find out how people of different ideological perspectives can find common ground. So wish us luck. And I will be back here with you, Matt, uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, Friday. This will be the after party from the 12 to 3 experiment. I will DJ the after party. (laughs) Outstanding. Thanks for all your input tonight, everybody. Lisa Brooks, we appreciate you every time you come in. Take the mic. Matt, great job. We'll see you guys tomorrow.